Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and this, if this is your first time watching, please make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button to be informed of any time we have new interviews or content like this. Uh, today is the last interview for September, and we're going to close out with another of my retail friends uh, from the industry. So I'm looking forward to having on Brandon Hayes. He's the owner of um, Renegade Cigars. So without further ado, let me bring him on. How you doing, Brandon? Today? I'm doing well. Like I said, it's it's been a while. Like, like I, I keep bringing you into my fold of, of media stuff that I'm, I have going on because you keep uh, giving me a lot of good material and good feedback to to work with. So thank you for agreeing to come on to here. Of course, I appreciate you uh, bringing me into the fold. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, I I, I I think I passed you at PCA which is like where I pass most of the people from the last month or so. And I was just like, Oh, definitely, definitely got to get them on deep cuts. Definitely got to get that person on deep cuts. But um, you were just telling me before we went live that it's been very, a very busy summer for you. Like it, it, what's been going on to make it busy? Because I think a lot of people kind of think summer and they don't always think busy seasons for uh, retailers, but especially with the economy as it is, but what's made it so busy for you. I tell you what, I feel incredibly blessed. Uh, you know, I turn on the news every day. I look at my personal stock portfolio <laughs> and uh, I see all the uh, havoc that's being done in the economy. And I think every day, you know, uh, it's going to be the day that customers don't show up. But uh, thus far, uh, this year has been fantastic. I know a, a lot of retailers, a lot of manufacturers saw a big uptick with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. I think they really probably saw the peak of that last year. Um, and we were expecting to have better than pre-COVID numbers uh, for this year, but we probably were expecting a little bit of a, a fall off or flat from last year. And uh, we have continued to grow uh, throughout uh, 2022 and just feel really blessed. Uh, I, I know, you know, things are getting more expensive for people, but I, I think people uh, found uh, cigars as a, you know, a fairly affordable uh, escape from the pressures of day-to-day -day world. So they're still coming in, they're still buying cigars from us. Um, and we hope that continues. I think that's awesome because we did hear, I think it was the unexpected surprise of the pan pandemic that there was this, this growth within the industry of people being interested in cigars and stuff. And when we all kind of thought, I think in March, when things were kind of going down, we're like, oops, like this is going to be pretty bad and people are going to be out of business. But the fact that it was a boom and that you're reporting for your, at least for yourself, that that boom hasn't like burst yet is a, a awesome thing to hear. Yeah. I'm going to knock on wood here, but no, we stayed <laughs> really, really strong this year. And back to your original summer question, um, you know, when the weather heats up here, our lounge stays busy and uh, we, we see that year after year, but we have a lot of uh, in and out customers too, that have beautiful patios or enjoy barbecuing or out on the lake. And when it gets really hot, some of those customers fall off and then we see them come back and, you know, they're spring and fall customers. But it seems like this year, um, you know, some people picked up smoking uh, during COVID. Some people just found more time to, to smoke between meetings because they were virtual and they weren't at the office. Um, and, and some people were able to work from the lounge and, and they hadn't been able to do that in the past. Um, but uh, it, it seems to be consistent. Uh, we, we've still seeing new people come in, um, whether they're cigar smokers that were online customers in the past uh, just looking for a different experience, maybe visit other stores or, or just new to the hobby. 
but we're still seeing new customers come in and, and a lot of the people that we picked up during COVID um, are still smoking. So we're happy to see it. Awesome. Now tell people where your store is, because I think that's um, very good for the context of this conversation that, you know, where is your store? What's it called? So that people know, I mean, they can see from your t-shirt, but some people might be just listening to this so they don't uh, get to see that good branding that you're putting out there. Yeah, it's Renegade Cigars. And uh, we're located in Richardson, Texas, which is a suburb uh, just about 10 miles east of Dallas. Um, we're actually just across the street from the Dallas uh, city line, um, but we are just a, a little bit east in, in Richardson, Texas. Um, I live in Rockwall, Texas, which is about 30 minutes east. Um, but it, it's an area that uh, it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of residents and it's got a lot of tech uh, businesses, a lot of data centers, a lot of tech businesses here in Richardson. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're starting to see some of those people get back into the office as well. So that's good. Good for our okay. business. So like I, was, like I was telling you as well, before we went live, like, you know, when I was thinking about all the retailers I wanted to have on this month, you all were for Texas. And I was just like, to me, that shows like there's a, a huge, strong culture of cigars in Texas. Is that the case for, in, in your opinion? I think so. Uh, you know, as I talk to manufacturers, uh, Texas always comes up as one of their top markets. Uh, we do have a lot of cigar smokers in Texas. It's also just a massive state. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I think uh, my friends and, and other markets uh, within the state um, all say that uh, that their market is strong. And, and uh, yeah, I know we have San Antonio, we have Houston, we have Austin, we have Dallas. Um, and so all of those markets are strong markets. I think when you combine those, I think it's a it's a good state for most manufacturers. Um, it's certainly a good state for us to do business. We we enjoy being here in the Dallas area and doing business in Texas. And do you find with the customers that you have coming into your store that they um, know about cigars or do they kind of come in because they're curious about cigars? Maybe they have a friend that or family member who smokes cigars. Like what's the how did they come to you as like what state of mind? You know, I get a little bit of uh, all of that. Um, I've got some people that have uh, smoked cigars in the past um, and they're just getting back into it. Maybe they had young kids and they got distracted for several years as kids mm -hmm. will do. Um, and they've got a little bit more free time now and they're getting back into it. So they've got a little bit of knowledge, um, but uh, you know, they really embrace the culture and, and, and dive deep into it and want to learn a lot more. Um, and I've also got customers that come in and they like you know, the Padron 4000. They just want to know you have it in stock and, and you know, they don't care about what's new and what's hot and what's changing in the industry. Um, but we try to provide a, a good experience for, for whatever they're looking for. Personally, I, I like the customer that comes in that's thirsty for information that, you know, that's passionate about cigars and wants to learn more. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the job is it's educating customers. And ultimately I think it builds a, a really loyal customer. Um, when you get that opportunity to, to take them down that journey of cigars and teaching them about the different tobaccos and countries of origins and really helping them figure out what cigar is right for them. And then also having them have a deeper appreciation for what all goes into a handmade cigar. Um, those customers end up often being my best customers. I think that's good to hear because I've been hearing a lot more recently. I think it's kind of post pandemic that, you know, education is so important in the industry and especially with retailers um, that there are so many people who want to know more about cigars. 
Um, and then there, you know, retailers are more interested now in educating their staff. Do you think that's something that, like I said, came maybe out of the pandemic or has that always been the case even before the pandemic, the education component? You know, I think uh, I probably have a little bit of a unique perspective on this and it, it it's probably uh, served me well over the years, but I came from an industry prior to being in cigars that no one wanted to talk about. I had a janitorial business for 10 years and um, nobody wanted to learn about janitorial. They just wanted their building cleaned at the end of the day. And uh, so when I came into an industry where I felt like there was an audience that was eager to learn, um, I felt like it was my responsibility as a retailer to first learn um, the industry and then and then teach it. And I think there are a lot of people that were thirsty for that knowledge. And uh, I, I think that uh, it's been that way for the eight years I've been in the industry. I think people had more time, uh, maybe a little bit more patience during the pandemic, and it allowed them uh, to spend more time around cigars, more time on the internet, more time, you know, reading the magazine, listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think all of that helped, but I think it's always been there. I just think that uh, the resources are much better now. In, in terms of resources, it, is there any type of resource or education or information that you wish there was more of, for, you know, from a retail perspective? You know, um, I think that it's cool that some manufacturers are doing a little bit of the behind the scenes videos, um, you know, kind of taking people into the factory. I always tell uh, cigar smokers that, that are getting into it, if you ever get an opportunity to go on a factory tour, you absolutely have to do it. Um, I think if you took somebody that didn't understand cigars or the economics of cigars and you took them down the journey from seed to final product, um, you know, with a manufacturer, with a processor, with a grower, I think they would be blown away that they get the product that they get for $10, 12 $13. Um, so I think that as manufacturers are able to bring people back into the factory, seeing it hands on, um, you know, there in person is the best case scenario, but not everybody has the opportunity to travel abroad, um, take that much time off work. Maybe people have families, can't get away. So I think as I think, uh, you know, manufacturers kind of opening that world up to them uh, through YouTube or, or through Instagram or Facebook or their own blogs. I think, uh, you know, I think there's a benefit to that. I see some people doing it. Um, I think there's a lot more opportunity to expand on that. We're trying to do a little bit of that, but, you know, we're only um, able to get away and, and, and get to the Dominican Republic or Nicaragua a few times a year. But we try to take customers with us. Um, and then we try to video some of that and share that. Um, but I think manufacturers have an opportunity to do that as well. And I think that uh, is going to just really, you know, when people see the, the, the time, the attention, the love that goes into making a cigar, I think that's what, you know, I think that's what really takes them over the edge, uh, where it's not just a, another product that that's in their life that they use to pass time, but something that they they become really passionate about. Uh, and I definitely agree with that. I remember going on a Davidoff trip in 2019 and being able to see where the cigars were made. And, you know, and you hear with like Davidoff, you know, they're always talking about the quality of their, their cigars, the quality of the tobacco they use. And you hear it and, and you just go, OK, like everybody's going to say that. But to, yeah. be able to be there and see every all the processes firsthand, you know, see the tobacco before it's made into a cigar, it does make a, I think, a, a big difference. So I'm I'm always feeling like and that's part of the story, too, that you don't really hear a lot of like you don't get from a press release. You don't get the whole process. You just kind of get 
this is what you're gonna you're gonna smoke by it <laughs> yeah and they, they may talk about some of the tasting notes i think we get a little carried away with that myself included at times but i think the uh the more you can pull the curtains back and 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 really uh show what goes into it um you know how many years it, it takes uh, before that cigar ends up in a in a retail shop and ultimately in that consumer's hands, I think that's where they really start seeing the value proposition um, to to the the price of what they're paying for that that level of enjoyment and uh, and and all the work that went into it. So yeah, I think manufacturers could do a little bit better job at that, but I, I like seeing that some of them are are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I see other retailers doing a good job at that, and and, and we're trying to to really do that for our customers. Uh, we started an educational series and for our weekly emails every Monday we send out an educational email there's never anything for sell in that email it's it's just to um, educate people on the industry um, we do everything from factory uh, you know history of factories to um, you know priming of tobacco strength versus flavor um, and then and then talk about individual tobaccos and um, retrohaling and how to travel with cigars, how to, how to properly humidify those cigars. So I just think that, uh, you know, if we all put our best foot forward and, and, and try to share that information, there's a lot of knowledge in this industry. And if we can pass that down to the consumer, I think we're just going to get that. We're going to, we're going to reap the benefit of that for sure. Yeah. And I get your emails and I also get your text messages on a regular basis. So I kind of see that firsthand. Um, well, thank you. And, and how, uh, I like that it's not always a sales push. <laughs> I think because like when you get so many sales pushes, you're just kind of like as a consumer, sometimes you're just like, like, this is too much. Like I get emails all the time from different clothing brands. And it's just like, I'm not looking for clothes. I don't I don't care about, you know, I don't care about this. And you start deleting without reading them. So um, I think the education part of it, though, especially in this industry, when people are wanting so much uh, information and understanding the product, I think it's it's good for you to take it on, but I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a uh, not, you know, it's not an easy task sometimes to to say, I'm going to educate the, the, the customer, like, let's put together this content. It's something we've invested heavily in. Uh, you know, we've got a we've got a two person marketing team, um, you know, that's not really customer facing, but but works on putting that material together, works on our events. We try to divide our events up between uh, events that create an experience um, that, that probably don't have a big ROI at the time, but then we hope that the accumulative effect of winning that customer over and, and uh, bringing them deeper into to our, our industry uh, will pay off in the long run. And then we try to do fun events that are, that are sales events, um, and, and we try to, try to balance those pretty evenly. But I, I feel like there's a sense of obligation for us to do that and invest back into our customers. Like I said earlier, we're, we're very fortunate I think two things we're very fortunate uh, in this industry is uh, we have a, a customer base that wants to learn uh, mm-hmm. and they're thirsty for that knowledge. And I think if we don't speak to them, we're doing them a disservice and we're doing ourselves a disservice. And I also think we have a beautiful industry to talk about. Um, you know, the newest iPhone is something that gets me excited, but you probably don't want to know how that iPhone's made or, or right. what goes into making that iPhone. Um, so you sell the product. Uh, but in our industry, we have a, a, a really uh, beautiful product to sell that um, the entire journey is something that we should show off. Um, in terms of, of product, like the, how do you go about choosing the product for your store? Because I ask that because I've heard different takes on 
products. Like some retailers, you know, uh, maybe they're not a, a full-fledged tobacconist. Maybe they are a smoke shop or discount tobacco place right. and they just want something that's going to sell. So they don't really necessarily know what brand to choose from and they don't always care what brand is going to choose. As long as somebody can say that this is going to move and people are going to come into my store and care and, you know, buy it, they, they go for it. But for you, how do you go about choosing product for your store and your customers? You know, we try to do that in the most sophisticated way possible and in the least sophisticated way possible. And, uh, and, and we weigh them pretty equally. Um, you know, we, we, we track all of our sales so we can tell you exactly what cigar turns, how many turns it gets. Um, uh, we, we grade our, our product based on how frequently it gets turned and what type of revenue it drives for the store. Um, and we track that stuff very closely. Um, and then the other part of it is just feeling. Um, you know, it's, it's not real sophisticated, but we, we meet manufacturers, we believe in what they're doing and we try to give them an opportunity to be successful in our store. And if they're successful and, and, and the numbers work out and they're getting the turns, we keep the product. If not, you know, we'll, we'll give it two or three attempts to, to introduce it. If it, if it doesn't do well, then, then we have to, to change it out. We've gotten about 75% of our inventory that's pretty stable. Mm-hmm. meaning that we don't change it out very often. And then the other part of our product is sometimes limited releases, product that we're introducing for the first time. <coughs> Excuse me. This year we brought in a couple new brands, but over the course of the year, I think we brought in two new brands. So a little bit of our inventory rotates, but we also like to keep consistent inventory. Mike, you know, you're the second retailer I've heard that says, you know, I think we all think again, like consumers, because as consumers, we buy throughout the year, <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't matter what, you know, we, we go on Amazon, we go into a store to buy stuff. But for you, like, do you have, like, are you purchasing product throughout the year or are you just like replenishing like those things that sell? And then you, you're, like you said, not really bringing in new product throughout the year. Like, how does that work? We try to keep 90 day inventory on, on all of our product. Um, and so that typically has us buying for most manufacturers two or three times a year in, uh, in, in a big way. And then we fill in product as needed uh, based on our, our 90 day sell run rate on that product. We normally reevaluate what products we're gonna carry um, a couple of times a year, uh, TPE and, and PCA being a great opportunity to kind of sit down um, and figure out what product we're going to move out and what what product we're going to introduce to our customers. Um, so, you know, while we're always watching that, there's really two times a year that we really sit down to evaluate that. And we, we try to keep it exciting for our customers. A lot of times we do that by uh, extending brands that have already had a track record of success with us. Mm-hmm. Um, if a brand's doing well uh, in our store, our, it resonates with our customers. Um, and they we have an opportunity to bring in a new SKU with them uh, or to, to bring in a limited release, uh, we'll do so. We're much more likely to do a brand extension than we are to bring in a new brand um, in its entirety. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we just, we try to look at that. We try to talk to our customers. Um, you know, every day somebody comes in and asks for a cigar that we don't carry. And uh, we've got a pretty large humidor with a lot of options, uh, but there's never a way to carry everything everybody's looking for. But if we start hearing that a brand's getting traction, you know, we try to start putting that on our radar. Um, and, and then we try to meet with the company, see what they're about, 
um, you know, we want to make sure that we feel good about supporting that brand and, and that and that we we're a good fit because ultimately I think it's a partnership between the customer and, and the retailer and the retailer and the manufacturer. And if we start getting a lot of requests for something, we'll evaluate that brand and uh, and, and try to look at bringing it in um, either at PCA or TPE is, is generally when we make those decisions. Um, but most of the time it's brand extensions. But we now have eight years worth of data to look at. We know what works and we know what doesn't work. And uh, there are times where brands kind of just go cold. You know, they two years ago, it was a really solid brand for us. But, uh, you know, our customers have changed or they've moved on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we'll have to work that product out if we can't if we can't do something to generate traction around that brand. Uh, but, uh, you know, we it's both it's data driven and then it's just, uh, you know, kind of our gut feeling. Um, we, we, we've tried stuff in the past that didn't work, but we were really passionate about the brand. Two years later, we reintroduce it, um, and then it does very well for us. Um, a lot of that, I think, just has to do with our partnership with the manufacturer. If we really believe in something, you know, we ask for uh, a commitment on their end to help properly launch the brand, um, mm-hmm. whether they come in and do some type of education. Um, a lot of times we'll set up dinners with the principal, something so that we can uh, formally introduce the brand to the customers in a way that's not just on the shelf and and hope they notice it. Um, and then if we give it that, uh, you know, initial push, um, I think the customers ultimately make the decision uh, voting with their wallet of whether they want to keep it there. If, if they continue their spend with that brand, then we continue supporting that brand. Um, when you're looking at the trends from your point of sales systems and sales in general, um, are you like in 2022, are you seeing any trends like are consumers leaning towards certain types of wrapper or certain sizes of cigars or just a certain brand? Like what kind of trends are you noticing for your store? Because I know it's different for every store. Yeah, I, I think our best selling size is still a Toro. And I think that that's probably true for most stores across the country. Um, but there's a little bit of seasonality to it um, when it gets really cold. Uh, really hot. Sometimes we see a little uptick in smaller format cigars. What I will say is, uh, you know, my staff and I uh, tend to lean towards a little bit smaller format cigars. And we start noticing as people, uh, you know, start kind of coming into the culture of the shop, hanging out in the shop, coming to events, um, they start gravitating to smaller format cigars. Um, But we, we ultimately just try to put somebody on a cigar that fits their uh, their needs the best. If somebody comes in and they, they smoke one cigar a day and they want an hour and a half with it, we're going to find them, you know, that, that Toro or super Toro or Gordo that, that fits their needs best. Um, and somebody tells us they've got a, you know, a 30 minute lunch break. We try to find the right cigar for them. But I, I would say the only thing that's a little bit unique probably, um, uh, for us is that Corona Gorda is probably the second best selling size for us. And yeah. I start, I start noticing people start, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of contagious. Um, if, if one of my, one of my managers gets hot on a particular brand or a cigar, um, you know, they're purchasing some of those cigars. Um, but I start noticing that customers start gravitating to those. So I think a, a lot of cigars, whether it be sizes, profile wrappers, I think, uh, I think that that has a lot to do with the personality of the shop. Um, and, and maybe even just a, a few key customers. I've got a few customers that if they get on a cigar, they're really going to talk about that cigar. They're going to learn about the brand. They're going to talk about it in the lounge. 
Um, and then I see other people start gravitating to that brand. Um, so I think, I think a lot of it just has to do with the personality of the shop. Um, uh, but Toro is probably still our best selling brand or size, excuse me. Um, one thing that I do kind of find interesting is, uh, when people come in, uh, you know, I, I try not to, to lead with what, what strengths cigar, cause, uh, a lot of people get that wrong. They'll tell me, oh, I just like something really mild and smooth. I'm like, well, what's the last cigar you liked? Oh, the Pedro 1926. Well, it's not really a mild cigar no. in my, you know. So I start asking them about brands and what they've smoked. Um, and and what I've what I've kind of seen is our, our shop really sells a lot of medium strength, uh, well-balanced, full-flavored cigars well. Uh, people come in and they smoke really strong cigars. But as they start getting a little bit deeper appreciation for the cigar they start hearing stuff like transitions and layers of flavor and they want to start experiencing that and a lot of times you know they'll kind of move down a little bit they'll, they'll start retrohelling the cigar they'll start really appreciating the different nuances and uh i would say medium strength is kind of the sweet spot for our store what getting back to your customers like what questions do they typically come to you with because I know that you provide them with a lot of information, but obviously they probably come to you with more questions about the product and, and cigars in general. So what kind of questions do like your top, you know, questions that you get a lot? Yeah. When people come into the humidor, um, you know, the, the, the most common question for somebody that is not a regular at our store is what's new and what's exciting. Um, and I, 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 I answer that question directly. I think if a, if a customer asks you a question, you know, they deserve a, a straight answer. Uh, but I also try to shift the conversation over time to, to not what's new, but what's good. You know, maybe what's a classic that you haven't tried or what's a cigar that you fell in love with that maybe haven't gone back to revisit in a few years. And uh, we just try to have those conversations, you know, 30, 60 seconds at a time in the humidor. Um, and over a few visits, we start getting a, a better understanding of what they're looking for. Um, you know, is this a, is this a purchase, uh, based on an experience? Are you looking for the most value for the, for the dollar? Are you looking to smoke a cigar that, that you've seen on Instagram that's, that's trending right now? And, uh, you know, we try to take them and, and, and serve their immediate needs, but over time, you know, teach them about why they like the cigar that they like, you know, people come in, they'll list, uh, two or three cigars that really impressed them. And I'll find out that those are all Dominican cigars. And I'll mention that to them and they had no idea what the country of origin is. So I'll say, do you want to, you know, do you want to experiment with two or three Nicaraguan cigars that are equal in strength and, and see if you like those as much? Or do you want me to find you two or three Dominican cigars, um, you know, that might be slightly different, but in the same wheelhouse of, of, of what you mentioned you like. And uh, over, over, you know, it doesn't happen in one visit. I don't think anybody wants to come in and, and have a 30 minute conversation in the humidor on their first visit. Um, but a bunch of 30, 60 second conversations add up, you know, if you care and you pay attention and you remember the conversation, you reference it on their next visit. And uh, again, I think that's how a lot, a lot of loyalty is built. Um, that's one advantage we have when we have a customer in our store that we don't have online and that the big catalog guys don't have is are those, are those quick conversations and really understanding the customer and finding the cigar that's best for them. Somebody comes in and they want a, a, a big, bold Maduro cigar. Um, that's not my style, but I'm going to give them exactly what they're looking for. Um, and, and then we get an opportunity to talk to them and maybe find out what they like about that. Next time they come in, say, hey, 
you know, I, I noticed that you like this cigar. We had this conversation last time. Maybe put this one on your radar. Um, and, and I think that those little conversations add up um, over multiple visits. But it sounds like you you yourself have to keep up with all these cigars, <laughs> like in order to be able to tell like the country of origin and, you know, to know the strengths and stuff. So how do you keep up with all this information? I mean, I think it's our job to do so. Um, you know, again, that customer's coming in. They're giving us the opportunity to earn their business in store, opposed to doing it from the comfort of their own home online. Um, and and if we get that opportunity, I think it's our job uh, to be aware. But you know, pay attention to you know Tobacco Business Magazine. Pay attention to Halfwell. Have those conversations with manufacturers. When a new cigar comes in, we don't simply just sticker it and put it on the shelf. Uh, we want to know a little bit about it. Um, want to make sure our staff knows about it so that we can, with confidence, talk about it. Um, I think it's important to hire people that are passionate about the industry, uh, that enjoy that type of knowledge. If I was selling a different widget that I wasn't passionate about, that would probably be painstaking work. But uh, let's be honest, a new cigar comes in, I spend 30, 60 seconds reading about it, and then I sit down and smoke the cigar. Um, I don't think that's really too much to ask from, <laughs> from, a, you know, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, is to know your product. So uh, I try to do that. I try to instill that in, in my employees. Uh, but I got to be honest, most of my employees take the liberty to do that on their own because they're also cigar guys. And I think that's an, an, you know, an interesting point you make because there are some industries, though, where, you know, for people, it might be, be a job and they might not know about the product. They might not use the product. And then they have to try to find the passion, <laughs> you know, fake the passion to, to sell it. And I think that comes out in the, in the, in the sales and the pitch and, and everything. So, you know, finding something to be passionate about cigars, uh, I think is, is key to being able to sell. Them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you've got to be passionate about it. And, and again, we're just lucky to be in an industry that, um, you know, we, we it's easy to, to, to fall in love with. And uh, it's easy to talk about. It's easy to be passionate about it. Um, and, and, and not everybody's a cigar person. But when we find somebody that wants to learn more about cigars, that, that, that wants a future in this industry, um, I recognize when we hire somebody, their future may not be at Renegade Cigars. Um, you know, maybe they spend a year with us, but they want to get a job as, as a manufacturer's rep or mm -hmm. they want to do something different in the industry. And uh, I'm happy to get that person for a year or a year and a half of, of their career. Um, you know, they, they tend to be the best employees and I'm happy to give them a, a letter of recommendation or make a phone call to a friend in the industry when it's time for them to move on. Um, so I, I think it is important to, to find people, um, that, that do love it. Um, but most of the time that's been pretty easy for us. It's and I forget what book I was reading, but they kind of said what you just said. Like if you're a leader, it's almost your job to, to look at your employees as, as children, um, not in a derogatory sense, but no. like you're taking care of somebody else's child and you want to prepare them for the world out there. So to take them on as in, like you said, if you have them for a year, if you have them for two years, that doesn't really matter, but prepare them for, you know, give them the training and the, the support that they need so that when they, if, when, or, you know, if they choose to go somewhere else um, within the industry, they can at least, be ready and um, able to handle it. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's been key for us. Uh, some of our 
our best hires have been people that we knew we weren't going to have them for the next 20 years. Uh -huh. uh, but we wanted to give them the tools they needed to be successful in the industry, open doors for them. Um, and in return, they provided a great service for our customers. And uh, it's kind of a win-win. Uh, we recently just had, I think, our, our third or fourth person uh, that's come through our door that spent, you know, over a year with us leave and, and take a, a, a rep job. And we were happy to do it. In fact, I recommended them for the job. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was a it was a very fair trade off because I got, um, you know, over a year of uh, of great service to my customers, um, you know, through that person. So um, when I've been talking to other retailers this month in particular, um, I like to ask them, like, what's the biggest issue that they are facing in their store? So what would be that issue for you? You know, I think it's just getting more and more challenging to get our message out. Um, you know, I, I, I don't fancy myself as an Internet marketer uh, by any means, uh, but I do have a background uh, in, in marketing businesses, um, a lot of that being through the Internet. Um, and it's very challenging to do that with cigars. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're having to always try to be creative. Um, but, you know, it's just getting increasingly harder. I know YouTube has just started pulling videos off um, that are cigar related. We've had some of our videos removed. Um, text texting customers is becoming more challenging. Um, uh, you know, email marketing is 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 people's inboxes are full, but that's still a, a way to connect with customers. Um, but it, it's just it's really challenging. You can't run ads. Uh, you can't you know you can't pay to promote. Um, you know, it'd be great if if after this podcast. Uh, you know, we could run some ads to it to, to people that are into the cigar culture and, and want to learn more. And, and, and maybe you and I could build a relationship with them. But that's a restricted item in this space. So, right. you know, that that's uh, that's probably my biggest gripe right now is just how difficult it's becoming, um, you know, to communicate with your customers. And uh, we get the opportunity to do that in person sometimes. Uh, but we have customers all over the country. And uh, it's very hard to reach them at times. And, and it just seems like, uh, you know, when you're in one of those SIN uh, industries, uh, everybody's against you when it, on the marketing front. So um, we, we find creative ways to do it, but it, it's challenging. Um, in store, um, you know, I, 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 six months ago, I would have said getting the products that we need. Um, fortunately, that's getting a little bit better. Um, we hold a lot of inventory. Um, we have uh, over a million dollars in inventory. Uh, on any given day. Uh, but when the, when the shortage happened, you know, we had manufacturers telling us they had cigars, but they didn't have boxes. They had boxes, but they didn't have bands. And so, you know, I know we missed a lot of turns and it was really frustrating because we spent so much time, you know, building loyalty to a brand, uh, you know, through our customer. And then when you don't have that product to sell them, I know it's, it's hard on the manufacturer, but it's hard on the retailer as well. Um, I wouldn't say that the supply chain issues are, are 100% corrected yet. We still see some back-ordered items, uh, but I will say that they're substantially better than they were, um, you know, the end of 2021, early 2022. Um, but hopefully that continues to get better um, and, and we're able to get those products into our customers' hand when they want them. Nothing will frustrate you more than spending years building a customer to a particular brand and being their outlet to supply them that that product when they want it. And then they come in and you can't get it. 
Yeah, because then they automatically, I think, then they start looking elsewhere, like online or at another store. And then. Yeah, that's the last thing you want is to have right. that customer go anywhere else. Right. So, so how do you build? Because I'm always interested in this topic, too. But how do you build that fandom or that, you know, loyal customer base within your store? Like, what's the key to that? Because there are so many choices. I mean, like you, you were saying, like there's the big box retailers and the big box online stuff that you can't always compete with. So, so how do you go about like keeping and keeping that customer base and then growing it without it like eroding away to all the different choices that are out there? You know, we just try to do a lot of really fun shit. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I oversimplified, but you know, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about customer experience. And, uh, you know, we're greedy in the sense that we want to penetrate very deep into our customer's life. Um, and, uh, you know, we try to do a lot of events in store, um, but we try to make sure those events are equal part um, experiential events um, and also sales events. Obviously, we need sales to keep the wheels turning. So uh, it's not that we don't think about sales. We, we spend a lot of time talking about that, but we try to balance that and make sure that you know, we're doing fun dinners. Those dinners don't have to be ROI positive for us. Um, they can be break even, um, you know, uh, dinners for us. Uh, we try to bring in spirit reps and, and educate them on, on different spirits and expose them to things they might not get elsewhere. But we, we try to really bring them into the club and, and, and hook them and keep them there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, there, there's not a weekend that goes by where a group of my customers is not going to a concert together or a ball game together over to somebody's house. I went over to one of my customers house the other day to watch a football game. And I think we had 25 customers there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I just think, I think building that culture, bringing people together, making introductions, um, when somebody new comes in, we try to make sure that we introduce them. We try to make sure that we get to know them and find out what events they might be interested in. Um, and, and, and start trying to just become a, a, a part of their life. Um, something that they look forward to where cigars. And I think if you pull their customers, um, I think half of them, the cigar is, is really important to them. And the other half, like the cigar is just the tool to, to hang out with all of their friends, um, mm -hmm. to do stuff they would normally do to experience restaurants, experience spirits, um, have a, have a guy's club, um, with, 25, 50, hundred people at a time that they can consider their friend and, and they can hang out with and just try to bring a lot of like-minded people together. And, and when you do that and you give them, uh, you know, a lot of really cool stuff to do, um, you, you get a lot of loyalty for that. Um, we've been really lucky that we've, and it hasn't been without, um, a lot of thought, but we also, there was a little luck involved that we just had a really good base of customers and it's continued to grow um, because they are very welcoming when somebody comes into the store. Um, we're not a, we're not a shop that where you come in, you know, there's four guys smoking a cigar, having a conversation and they don't get up and introduce themselves. They don't talk to you. You don't feel uncomfortable when you walk into the lounge. Um, our, our staff tries to do a good job of introducing new customers. Uh, but if we ever miss the opportunity to do that, they generally get up and do it themselves and they'll promote our events for us. You know, they'll invite them out to the next cookout we're doing or, uh, you know, to the next event. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really a pretty special thing. Um, and, and we've had to, you know, we've had to uh, put a little work in to do that. Um, you know, one or two bad customers can become a, cult or a cancer in the lounge. 
And it's not every day that we're asking people to leave. We want it to be a welcoming place where people feel comfortable. But if somebody comes in, you know, and they're, they're obnoxious, they're rude, disrespectful to other customers, you know, we'll normally try to talk to them one or two times. But, um, you know, if they're taking away from what we're building, we're not opposed to asking them to leave. And uh, that, that really, uh, that's happened, uh, you know, not on a regular basis, but, um, you know, we've had to ask customers that spend $20 with us. Um, and we've had to ask customers that have, you know, lifetime value of $20,000, um, just tell them that, you know, that, that that's not going to work here anymore. Um, and, and I think when you work the bad people out and you give the good people, um, a really comfortable place, um, to be a, a part of, and, and to be excited about, and, um, and you give them the boys club they're looking for. Um, I think that, uh, they do a lot of that recruiting and, and retention work for you. Um, when it comes to customers online, you know, it's a little bit different, but, uh, generally when a customer has a question about a cigar, um, they call and they either get, uh, my marketing manager or they get myself, we can answer those questions for them. We can take the, the payment right over the phone. Um, you know, we can, we can expedite shipping if they need expedited shipping, we provide them tracking numbers. Um, and then, you know, we, we just tried to deliver good service the very first time. And then we try to start customizing that service so they feel like they're doing business with a person, um, not just a company, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that, you know, we approach it two different ways. Um, but some of our events, we do virtual and uh, try to include some of those uh, e-commerce customers in. But a lot of it's just picking up the phone and asking them how they enjoyed those cigars and ask them if they want some more recommendations. And uh, we have a team. That, that does that. And uh, so I, I want those people to feel like they're dealing with, with people. And uh, so we try to provide a, a high level of service in store and, uh, you know, off or online. Um, but uh, I think it, you know, I think it's just remembering that the customer is what makes all this perfect or all this uh, possible and, uh, and really spending time obsessing over what it is they want. You know, what is it the customer wants? I, and it's not just cigar retailers, but um, I talk to business owners, small business owners, um, on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, one thing that I noticed that separates a good cigar retailer and a bad cigar retailer, um, or a good small business owner or a big one is, is how they obsess over their customers. It's real easy to, to say, you know, man, this customer spilt this drink. This customer's a little bit loud. This customer wants to watch this on television and, uh, and get bogged down with that. But you got to remind yourself that, these customers are what make our dream possible, and uh, we got to take care of those customers and be excited about them, and, uh, and 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 spend time with them, and invest in them, and, uh, and and continue to grow that. But the people that are always complaining about their customers typically don't have very successful businesses, right. and those that are really obsessed with providing their customer, we spend more time worried about what our how we're going to let our customers down. And, and trying to avoid that than we do complaining about our customers. And I think that's important when we have something really special, uh, like I, I believe we have now, um, I think it's important to, to think about what the expectation is and how to keep that momentum going and how not to disappoint them and how not to let them down. Um, and I think too many people get caught up in how difficult customers are and they can be difficult, but, uh, they also make it all possible. Now you did mention that you have an online store. So I know that, you know, I was telling some uh, one of the other retailers, you know, when I first got into the industry in 2010, I know that there was this big split in the industry between, you know, 
if you're a retailer, you know, a true tobacconist is the, the retail, you know, they have a brick and mortar, they're not online, you know, it was like online was the bad guy. But now I think it's, you know, it's like, to me, it's almost necessary for you to have an online store just so you can offer your, your customers locally and beyond a place to get cigars. So how easy was it for you to kind of get into the e-commerce and like, you know, what, what made you decide to finally pull the trigger and just become more, like I said, cause I know it requires a whole different set of requirements and somebody to really manage it. And uh, it takes a lot of work to run an online store properly. So you don't mess up or have angry customers waiting for product and all that. You know, I think it kind of comes down to, to what I, I mentioned earlier uh, about obsessing over your customer. Uh, I don't think we started an e-commerce uh, store to try to compete with the big, you know, what I call catalog companies, the big conglomerates. Uh, we did it because we wanted to provide, uh, we wanted a frictionless way for our customers to do business with us. And uh, we have customers that love coming to the store and picking up a couple of cigars, um, but they buy most of their cigars, uh, you know, while they're at work, they take a five minute break, they get on the computer, they order their box of cigars, they have it sent to their home or office. And, uh, and then they come around, you know, the store, you know, when it's convenient for them, they like coming in, but it just doesn't fit their schedule. So mm -hmm. we wanted to be able to, to satisfy those customers. Um, uh, we'll, we'll sell cigars to, uh, you know, somebody any way that we possibly can, as long as it's legal, of course. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we offer delivery for, for our local customers. We obviously serve them in store. It just made sense to extend that to people that wanted to buy online. And, uh, you know, that's grown, but initially it was really to kind of serve our customer base, um, that did shop in store and online. Um, and now we're starting to sell the customers across the country. But I think when we got into it, it was really a, a, an investment we made just to provide the, the, the easiest way, uh, to deliver cigars to our customers in the way that they, they wanted to, to, to be served. Um, you know, during COVID, we had some customers that said, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be in the store the day it opens back up after the shutdown. And, uh, you know, they weren't worried about it. We had other customers that maybe had immune compromised kids and they didn't feel comfortable being in the store. So yeah. we're not going to give that customer an excuse to go anywhere else. We're just going to meet their needs the way they, they asked for us to meet them. And uh, that was e-commerce. Um, you know, it did require a, a new hire and a full-time person and, uh, you know, a, a big capital investment for us to do it properly. Um, and so we said, you know, why we're doing this, let's, you know, let's extend our reach and, and see if we can pull some customers that we otherwise would not have ever met, um, you know, uh, while they're looking for their product and, and, and they don't have a relationship or they're not loyal to a retailer. Um, and, uh, and, and we've been able to, to grow that to, like I said, uh, customers all over the country, but initially it just was, was trying to serve our customers the most convenient way for them. Um, I know you're getting ready to celebrate a big anniversary for your store. You have a big cigar release to kind of go along with it. So tell us about the big anniversary and what you have planned for to mark the occasion. Yeah, we take our anniversary seriously. Uh, we, we throw a big party every single year. Um, I, I think it's a good way just to say thank you to our, our employees, our customers. Um, we have a lot of fun with it. Um, we invest pretty heavily in it, uh, but we're doing it off-site this year. I think we're going to have, uh, well, I think we're supposed to have uh, around 200 people uh, is what our contract says, but I think we've got, 
way more than that already signed up. So, um, you know, it's been very well received, but we throw a big party. Um, we're going to have uh, liquor brands. We're going to have a lot of giveaways. Um, we're going to have music, got a few surprises. Um, uh, hoping that Henderson will be here. Um, Henderson and, and, and I make our anniversary cigar every single year. Um, and that's when we release our anniversary cigar. We do a pre-sell of the cigar uh, one week prior to the event, but we release our cigar and uh, and we just throw a big party. I mean, we have a lot of fun. Um, it's a way for my daytime guys to meet my nighttime guys. It's a way for my guys that are, you know, my weekend warrior cigar smokers to meet my, week, my weekday guys. Um, and we just have a, a, a lot of fun with it. But it's it's really a big thank you to our customers. And it's one of those events that we don't expect an ROI on um, up front. But a lot of relationships are built at the anniversary party. And uh, a lot of relationships are solidified at the anniversary party. Uh, but we, we make it we make it uh, the biggest the biggest, uh, you know, event that we do each year. And, and, and we have a, a lot of fun with it. And there's almost no budget. We just, if it's cool, we, we do it. Um, and then the anniversary cigar, um, we've been doing this, I guess I've owned the store for eight years. We're celebrating our 12th anniversary. I took over Renegade um, the day after their fourth anniversary. And uh, they had an anniversary party the night before, and I took over the store the next morning. So we just kind of continued that tradition. Um, but about six years ago, we added the anniversary cigar. So that's a project that I spent a year working on. Um, it always seems like I have plenty of time to get this project done, and we're always paying uh, to have it shipped three days from the Dominican Republic. It seems like we always run out of time. Um, but it is a project that we spent a lot of time on. Henderson and I take a lot of pride in, in releasing this cigar. Um, we only sell 100 boxes of it. Um, they're dress boxes and of 10-count Corona Gordas. Um, last year, I think we sold out in about 30 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. This year, I expect the same thing. Um, so not everybody gets an opportunity to get the, the dress box, but it's something that people talk about all year long. Um, uh, people will decide when they're going to smoke them. They'll, they'll, they'll give them to another customer for their birthday. It's it's kind of a special thing around the lounge. Um, but then the following year, we'll re-release that cigar, uh, but we'll re-release it in a 46 by four and a half. So a different size, non-dress box. Um, and so now I think this is our sixth release and we just have a lot of fun with it. It's, um, it's, you know, you st- it started selling out in four hours and three hours. Last year was 30 minutes. So we're going to see what we do with it this year. Uh, but I have a feeling it, uh, it goes on sale at 9 a.m. on Friday morning. I have a feeling by 9.30 they'll all be gone. So you got to go for the 15-minute mark this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be uh, that would be incredible. I think if it wasn't technology holding us back, um, you know, we sell that in-store and online. Um, so, you know, uh, people are checking out at the register and and we're, we're trying to get through them as fast as possible. But uh, we also have the e-commerce work. And so if technology will allow it, I think we could get it done. Um, and you mentioned Henderson. And for those people who don't know, um, Henderson is like a like very talented um, blender in the industry. I'm trying to figure out all the superlatives to kind of give them. Um, you know, and he's, you know, nicest guy, great family that makes cigars. They make um uh, you know, so many brands, you can't really name them all, but Caldwell, uh, La Barba, Bolado, um, Room 101, uh, just to name a few. And like you said, they, they work with you and they work with other companies as well. And unfortunately, you know, earlier this week, they suffered a, a major fire at their factory. 
Um, so you said you spoke to Henderson's. How is he doing? How is his family? What kind of update can you kind of give us on that whole situation? I literally started sweating when you were saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm really devastated over this whole thing. Um, like you said, Henderson is a, a talented, talented young cigar maker that, that's got a lot of uh, got a lot ahead of him in this industry. Um, but it really, you know, what, what really makes me sick is Henderson's young, um, but this is a family business. Um, William Ventura um, retired from Davidoff and wanted to start a, a, a company with his kids. And, uh, you know, his dream came true. Um, now the entire family works for the William Ventura factory. Um, Henderson, you know, Henderson probably uh, is out there a little bit more because he's got the brand Adventura Cigars, which is him and McKay's cigar, um, a really nice gentleman um, from Europe. Um, that's their brand, but they're a customer of the William Ventura factory. Um, but Henderson has worked on some incredible blends for some of the most popular cigar makers in the industry. But like you said, um, makes a, a lot of cigars for Robert Caldwell. Um, Robert gets a lot of credit for the success that factory has had. Um, they've grown with Robert um, uh, probably almost from the very beginning. Um, but when when William started making cigars um, outside of Davidoff, um, Robert came to the factory. And as far as I know, he was their very first customer. And they grew with Robert. Um, and then Room 101 came on board, started working with Matt Booth, like you said, Tony Bellotto. Um, there, there's a few other, um, but you know, when we talked about earlier, people need to see it to really understand what goes all into making a cigar. You know, the, the factory did catch fire about 3 AM on Sunday, or I guess early Monday morning. Um, it was a total loss. I think they're going to probably determine that it was an electrical fire, um, from the building, uh, maybe even from the, the neighbor's side of their building, but I don't think the investigation is complete on that yet. Um, but it was a total loss. They lost, uh, about a million cigars. I know several hundred thousand of those were, were Robert's cigars or soon to be Robert's cigars, um, and, and, and lost a little bit of everybody's cigars. Um, but you know, what, what's hard is, is this factory fed, uh, you know, several families. And, um, and when you think about starting over, you know, these cigars are a process and they take many, many years, um, so they can, they salvaged some tobacco, not from the fire, but they had some tobacco at their old factory, which is where, where William, um, offices out of, um, but they did lose the tobacco that was in their facility. Um, I know they had hundreds and hundreds of pounds of, of tobacco there. They lost about a million cigars. If you start thinking about just boxes and bands, um, you remember earlier when I was talking about companies being delayed because of bands. I remember when I was making cigars with manufacturers two, three, four years ago, we could turn boxes and bands around in a matter of a month. Um, a lot of, a lot of the box factories and band factories, um, are, are struggling to get boxes out in 10, 11, 12 months. So I know they lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in boxes and bands. So it's going to be a real setback that is going to last, uh, for years. Um, but I also know the family, um, I know they're hardworking, good people. I know that there's a lot of industry uh, people in the Dominican Republic that will support them and do what they can. Um, mm -hmm. But it really was a death, devastating thing for the the entire family um, that lost everything that they have worked the last you know 10, 10 or so years to build. 
I mean, everything went up in flames and, um, and now they're starting over. Now they're starting over. It's a tough, tough thing for them. But, um, you know, I, I know that they're, they're going to get some support, um, from the industry. Um, but I think, uh, you and I talked about this or you mentioned this, uh, before I, I just hope that it's something that lasts because this isn't, this isn't something where they can just go rent a new warehouse and get back to work tomorrow. Um, they're going to have to replace that tobacco. Some of that tobacco had, uh, years of age on it. They're going to have to get new boxes, new bands, um, buy new molds, new presses, um, you know, and, and replenish those cigars, um, for Adventura, for Henderson, um, but also for the other people they make cigars for. Um, but yeah, I, I know it was a multi-million dollar loss for them. Yeah. So hopefully, like I said, I know that there's been talk about some support or something, um, happening. So once, uh, something kind of is formalized, I definitely will, will share it, uh, with everyone, uh, on my social media channels and I'm sure you will on yours. And of so course. everyone who, who knows Henderson, which is almost everybody <laughs> is going to, uh, share it and, and chip in. So, um, I just wanted to make sure we, we talked about that because it is such an important, uh, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta think about the setback for, for yeah. Robert Caldwell and, and the other brands as well. Um, you know, I don't know exactly their relationship, but you know, the, the financial loss on this, at, at least in the short term is probably going to be on the factory. Um, generally those cigars are, are, are purchased by the maker once they're shipped. Again, I don't know their exact relationship, but that's pretty standard. Um, so most of the initial financial loss um, is, is probably going to be on on the Vent- uh, the Ventura family. Um, but uh, you know, every every cigar maker that lost a cigar in that factory, um, you know, is going to have to to worry about delivering for their customers and not losing shelf space in those retailers um, mm-hmm. and 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 the delay on cigars. So I hope people are patient with them. I hope people support them um, in, in every way possible. And, uh, you know, I, I know it's going to be a, a long road, but I know they're fighters. And I know they're, they're uh, a, a really smart and talented family. That they'll ultimately be okay. Exactly. So like I said, I'll, I'll be sharing more information uh, as it comes forth and uh, on that, but hopefully it's not one of those, like I said, news stories that we kind of forget after 48 hours or so. And uh, we keep getting updates from them and we keep, share um rebroadcasting that information i agree um so as we close out the show i still want to ask you the, the usual two questions i ask everyone else um the first of those questions being what is your why what motivates you to do what you do man i uh i just i love it i i'm still uh, eight years in as passionate about cigars um as i was the day that i started um, and I just feel lucky every day to get to do something I enjoy. Um, I, I almost feel like it's too good to be true. And I think the, you know, what, what motivates me every day is I'm afraid somebody's going to take it away from me. Uh, you know, this, uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything different. Uh, you know, so I, I try to work hard every day so that I can continue doing this. Um, then the last question is someone comes to you, they know that you, you know, came into this business and you've helped it to grow over the years uh, and they have their own idea for a business and might not necessarily be a cigar related business or tobacco related, but they have their own idea for some type of business um, and they want to get started, but they have no idea where to start or where to get started. What's your one tip for that person on getting started successfully with their own business? That's a good question. Um, 
you know, I guess you got to identify who your customer is and what makes your customer tick. Um, and really, really, uh, obsess over that. I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to go in to the business on the cigar side, um, you know, I think it's important, uh, to, to get into the cigar making countries, spend some time, um, around the industry, really get to understand the industry. If it's on the retail side, uh, I think that's important, but a little bit less important. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I, I think that, you know, just finding out who your ideal customer is and building a brand, uh, that attracts that ideal customer and not losing focus at that. It's easy to lose focus at a time, but that's always what we have to come back to is who do we want our customer to be? And then, uh, what will attract that customer and then, uh, deliver that day in and day out. Awesome. Well, could you tell people who are not watching this and they haven't seen the banner that's been up the whole episode, what website they need to visit, what social media they need to follow in order to keep up with you and Renegade? Of course, I'm uh, Brandon Hayes, uh, just first name, last name on Instagram. Uh, the store is Renegade underscore cigars on Instagram. Uh, we have a really active Facebook group. Our business page we don't do as much on, uh, but we have an active uh, Facebook group, which is Renegade Cigar Lounge. Um, and then for a great selection of cigars, renegadecigars.com. Uh, but even if you're not in the market to purchase cigars today, um, you'll find our blog that's filled with uh, a lot of really uh, great educational information that we've spent a lot of time on. Um, so we welcome you to check out uh, that portion of our website as well. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, we're always available. Face, Facebook, Instagram, uh, on our website, or feel free to give us a call. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and I want to thank everyone for watching today. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, just make sure you hit that like or subscribe button. And if you're listening to this on Apple podcasts or Spotify or Heart Radio or any other podcasting platforms, just make sure you hit that subscribe button. And also, if you could, please leave a uh, review because reviews help me to improve the show. Uh, if there's something you didn't like, you're not going to hurt my feelings by posting it. And if there is something that you liked, uh, you can post that as well, just so I can do more of it. And uh, if you missed any of this episode or any of the other, I think there's 111 episodes or so, uh, including this one, you can catch all the episodes on deepcutslive.com. And also, like I said, you can find us on um, YouTube or Facebook, uh, all the, the past interviews that have been done. So um, thank you again, Brandon. You'll have to come back on at some point in the future to uh, chat more about your store and about the retail experience. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on and thanks for doing what you do. Uh, no problem. Thank you for, like I said, for continuing to put yourself through all my questions. I always say, I was like, I'm going to ask this Brandon so many questions that he's going to be like, please. Like, <laughs> I say Anytime, that was, yeah. But uh, thank you for, for answering all the questions uh, like you did. And I think it was very helpful. And, and I think, Lots of the people who watch it will uh, get something out of it. Awesome. All right. Have a good afternoon. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Cheers.